0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm excited about this week. I'm excited to, to kind of continue this uh, series that we've been walking through, uh, specifically highlighting the plus ones in our life. And the question this morning at the, the, the forefront of where we're headed today is, who has God called you to share your faith with? Who has God called you to share your faith with? And this question probably has been posed uh, in, you know, verbally or maybe just internally throughout the course of Christian history. Uh, what does it mean? How does it, what does it look like to step forward and share our faith? But also, what does it look like in our context to share our faith? Because our context is different, it's unique uh, compared to any other throughout the course of history as well. We are missionaries, so to speak, in our world. We're missionaries in our home sometimes, in our workplace, in the classroom, with our roommates, wherever it might be. We're missionaries because we live in a post-Christian society. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that Christ doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that his power is omitted. It means that we live in a society where people don't have the same foundational beliefs that they did generations ago, foundational understandings of who Christ is and what he's about. Most of the people sitting next to you uh, right now in this place probably have some semblance of a church background, but particularly in the context of the world to which you're going to enter into when we conclude the service today, many of the people you walk alongside probably do not have the same background or any background may uh, may it be uh, in church at all or in the understanding of who Christ is. A post-Christian society is defined like this. It's one in which... Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion, but that has gradually assumed value, culture, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian or that follow the teachings of Christ. You probably have seen examples of this in your own life. I've seen them throughout the course of my life and in ministry as well. No less than 10 years ago, I I was having a conversation with a student that was uh, in a youth ministry that I was uh, serving And we're talking about his family and his background, how he grew up in uh, the Catholic church and his family still attended Catholic church. And he told told me that his parents had come one time to the church that I was serving at and they decided they were not going to come back because we talked about this Jesus too much. And they wanted to hear more about God. And I look at that and I think that is somewhat of something that we might laugh at because we understand the fact that Jesus is God, but at the same time we live in a world where there's not a full understanding of who Christ is, not just the personhood, but the lordship. Not less than five years ago, I was talking with another friend, a colleague in ministry, and he was talking about an experience that he had observed where a friend of his and he had gone to a jewelry store and they were at this jewelry store and they were looking at the different jewelry and his friend wanted to buy a cross necklace. And as they were looking at the different cross necklaces, the person who was helping them there, the the employee that was helping them there, was looking at all the different cross necklaces. She was taking them out of the case and laying them on the counter so that he could look at each one. And she picked up one and she said, well, look at this one. This is different. This one has a little man on it. That's a crucifix, that's a depiction of Jesus still on the cross, and certainly there's an understanding there for her that this was a strange anomaly. She didn't fully understand why there would be a person on the cross, for it's just a symbol that we wear as a fashion statement more than anything else in this world. Not more than a, a few weeks from now, we're going to vote specifically as a nation or as a state, I should say, on a, a, a nation wide debate, specifically one that looks at and identifies what it means to define life, what it means to define who and what gets the opportunity to live, gets the opportunity to, to, to live, to breathe, to be created. Certainly, we live in a world that Right has become wrong and not just wrong become right but wrong has become celebrated within the context of our world and certainly these may seem uh, funny to some extent they may even seem abrasive and certainly my, my goal my desire today is not for us to to, to to get into the weeds or deeply explore each of the contexts of each one but the recognition is that this is where the people for which you and I will see will sit eye to eye with will will see this week'll will, will work alongside'll engage with in conversation with thought and collaboration collaborative efforts, whatever it might be, you and I will see people who have a perspective of Jesus that is not, either doesn't exist or that is not accurate within the context of scripture. And so here's the, the reality for you and for me when we answer this question, who has God called us to share our faith with? And it's this, he has called us bottom line to action. He's called us to step out and to be those that, that share the good news of Jesus, to share the love of Jesus. We're not to assume that people know or understand the gospel anymore, but instead we should almost assume, or we should assume, not almost, that they don't. Should we not, should we not recognize the world we live in uh, for what it is, we're going we're to totally miss the reality that we engage with people every day that have no foundational understanding of the good news of Jesus. And because of that, they also live in darkness. They live in a place of despair. They live in a place where they don't realize or understand or experience the peace that Jeff was talking about just a minute ago. That we can receive through the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. The people that we respond to, the people that we interact with, the people that we engage. Those are the ones that God's called us to be disciples. To be disciples in front of of Christ and to be missionaries for As Jesus ascended into heaven, Matthew records these words in chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission for Some. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always at the very end of the age. And this core passage is one that points towards this succinct mission that God has called you and I to be part of. Certainly there's a blessing involved here as much as there is a challenge and a mission to step into, but that blessing is done with the presence of the Holy Spirit, with the understanding that we have the hope, the only hope that can bring light to this world, that we, you and I, get to step into a world and be the hands and feet, the mouthpiece of the Most High God. Amen. And so here's the question once again, who has God called you to share your faith with, to share your hope with, the hope that you have? The goodness that God has done, who has God put in your life? In this series of Who's Your Plus One, we recognize that God has put us in the position, put us in the place, put us in the environment that we are now in so that we might be ambassadors, salt and light for him. There's many examples in Scripture that detail and highlight and that uh, that narrate the the historical accounts of people who were the hands and feet of Jesus, that were righteous in their own right, in their own culture. Specifically speaking in the New Testament, we see within the context of the Gospels and particularly within the context of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Church, the Acts of the Apostles. These are the the people who have taken what what Christ had given them and stepped forward and it's recorded and put together so that we might see it. In Acts chapter 8, we see that the ministry and the missionary work work of the apostles had grown so much that they needed to enlist more people to join the team and so as the spirit placed people in their heart they gathered them together and they created kind of this second team of disciples those that would come in and do some of the physical work that would go and spread the gospel that would be part of the mission that God had placed forward one of those specific uh, disciples was, uh, was Philip. This was not the Apostle Philip. This was another Philip uh, nicknamed sometimes the, the evangelist or the deacon. He had the ability to preach and he had the willingness to step in and to be God's hands and feet wherever he was called. He was appointed the same time as Stephen, the first martyr, and many others who stepped forward to say yes to God in the midst of the the fact that they were under persecution at that time. It wasn't necessarily the best time to enlist and be part of this disciple movement because they were being murdered. They they were being martyred. They were being killed for their faith. But Philip stepped up and said, yes, he'll carry the, the message to the marginalized Samaritans that were in their midst. He was truly a man, a humble man after God's own heart. And he preached to large crowds in just the same way he was able to share the gospel with one individual as God put that person in front of him. And then eventually he planted a church in Caesarea and was one who in all aspects, in all ways, in all regards, attempted to try to honor God and how he had called him to do so. And so we're going to read today from Acts chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, you can, you can turn there. Also, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read uh, specifically part of Philip's ministerial, ministerial account. In chapter 8, and then we'll come back and pull some points from this passage. Starting in verse 4, it reads like this. Those who had scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was joy in the city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. And here he's, he's, he's practicing sorcery. He's keeping them entertained, so to speak. He's taking their attention away from what matters most. And he boasted that he, had, he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave, them, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he, he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But... When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They were in the darkness. They were following the sin of the day, the sin that was before them. But when Philip proclaimed the gospel, verse 13 continues, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw next several verses talk about Simon's journey. Jumping down to verse 26, we see more of Philip's ministry. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the road, the, de- the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of a treasury of the Kandake which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his, on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip go to go to the chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. And verse 31 says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. And it read like this from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with uh, that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along, you know, when I was reading this, just preparing, I, I imagine there would be like a huge applause in here during that. But that's okay, we'll, we'll work on it. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look here in water. Here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at at Azotus, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Would you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality that we can read this passage today, see this historical account of a man after your own heart who was righteous and faithful and revealed exactly what you had called him to do so, God, and the fact that we can still take this and it can be applicable to our lives today not because of anything we can do or anything that Philip even did, though you call us to be obedient, but because of the fact that your Holy Spirit moves and is working in this moment. And so God, I pray that you would use this passage, use the words today that I share at the same time, Father, pray that you would use the fellowship that we have, our musical worship today, the time of giving, all the things that took place and allow this to be an opportunity where we gather in this place unified so that we might go and be your hands and feet, to be your mouthpiece in a world who so desperately needs you. May we as believers be part of the catalyst to bring forth a change in this society because of the truth and the direction and the leading of your spirit through your holy word. And All of us said together, amen. So in this text, we see some very specific things that that the Spirit called Philip to, and we see some very specific actions that come from it. Obviously, we recognize that Philip was an amazing man, and we don't all have the same skills that he did to be able to preach to the crowds, to go and to take on the sorcerer, and at the same time to sit with this person who is struggling and to clearly and concisely share the gospel, the good news about Jesus. The range of his ministry gifts is unmatchable by most, but the reality is he was willing to serve. This is the most important thing. He was willing to serve in whatever context the Holy Spirit called him to step into. And so the reality for us isn't necessarily that we have to have all the same gifts that Philip had or to be able to do all the things that he called he was called to do. Instead, we simply are called and, and, and it is important for us to recognize that the desire on the, on the heart of God is for us to step into where God has called us to serve and to share the gospel in our context. The ministry of Philip included the fact that he preached to the masses, that that he engaged with this sorcerer, which a sorcerer is defined as a person who claims or is believed to have magic powers, uh, a wizard or someone who takes the form of godliness. And then finally, he witnesses in quiet in the journey of a lost man, a humble seeker. And the first point is this, God's desire to intentionally use you to share the gospel with the people in your context. His desire is to use you in, 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 a, in a large way, per, perhaps, to share the gospel from the rooftops, maybe to take on that challenge in front of you that you recognize as clearly sin, or specifically just to share the gospel with one person. You know, I've heard this, this, this story shared before of a, of a little boy who was walking on the beach that was peppered with starfish. Perhaps you've heard this before. And as he walked along the beach, he would pick up a starfish here and there, and he would throw them back into the water. And a man came along, a wise man, or maybe he thought he was wise, he wasn't necessarily the wisest in this specific instance. He walked up to the boys and said, why are you wasting your time? There's so many starfish. Why are you wasting your time just throwing one or two in? He said, you know what? And he picked another another starfish up. He threw it and he said, it mattered to that one. And can I tell you that there are starfish in your life, there are starfish in your context right now that the gospel matters to. We probably can't all of us t- together could, obviously, but we probably can't as an individual reach every person, but we can reach that one that God places in our context. And certainly you might not be in the context to which you desire, or maybe you're in a context right now or a-, a living situation or a job that's not your favorite, but I will tell you that the-, the reality of God's perfect will versus his permissive will is no matter what, whether it's the will that he chose for you or the will that, will that you chose for yourself or someone else chose for you, regardless, he will use that for his glory. He may not have intended you to be where you are, but he's intending to use you where you are right now. A number of years ago, I worked at a hardware and lumber store uh, on the side. I was a bivocational at the time. And when I worked there, one of the things that I recognized is from time to time, I would get to know a lot of the contractors and the weekend warriors that would come in and they would buy different things. And sometimes they would come in and they'd have to buy what I would consider a specialty tool. And a specialty tool was something that you wouldn't use every single day. It was something that you were doing a job and you realized, I'm going to need this tool. And it's probably something that that's maybe the only time you're ever going to use it. Right, you'd come in, you would get this 20-millimeter wrench or a left-handed hammer, right? Anybody use one of those? Yes. That was a joke. Thank you. Yes. And the recognition that I had is when they would come in and they would buy these specific things, they would get them, and they'd always talk about, well, I've got to spend $28 for this thing, and I'm probably never going to use it again. And it's, but, it, but it was needed for that one time. Several years ago when we were living in South Dakota, my family and I were still there. I I bought a Subaru because I wanted the all-wheel drive for the treacherous winters that we had up there. And certainly it's come in handy here, right? The winters we've had the last few years. That was a joke as well. One of the things I I noted about this is anytime I use this specific vehicle and I have work that I need to do on it, that somebody's great idea was to make some things standard as far as the measurements, some things are metric, and then some are Klingon, it seems like, from like outer space. And I don't always know exactly what I'm going to need, but I've recognized that in the course of having this vehicle, I've got three or four specialty tools. Because every situation that looks different needs a specific tool for every job. Everything needs a, a, a unique, a specialty tool. And spiritually speaking, the question that I have is, are you right now the specialty tool in a situation? Are you the one that has a specific authority or insight or involvement? Are you the one that has a, a relational clout specifically with a with a coworker or with a with a classmate or with a family member where God is saying to you you are the only one that can have this specific impact on this person right now? When I was younger, my parents, a young man, my parents bought me a toolbox when I was just starting out after I left the house. And from there at Christmas and sometimes a birthday, they might buy me an additional tool to put into that specific toolbox. And I would put them all in there and I had this collection of tools. It was a pretty good collection of tools. And then I had kids, right? And what I'd find is when I needed this screwdriver, or I needed this hammer, I needed this wrench, it was almost either never there or when it was returned, it wasn't necessarily in the same shape that it was. When initially was lent out. And so I'd find myself looking for tools. Where are they? Where'd they get placed? Where did they go? And sometimes the sad thing is, and you've probably been here before, the tool that was borrowed, the tool that was missing, never showed back up again. What a sad thought, what a sad illustration that might be, spiritually speaking, we think about ourselves as being a tool in the hands of the Saviour. What if, I'll make this rhetorical, what if the tool never showed back up? What if you and I as the tool never showed up in the situation that God intended for us to be used in that unique situation for a brother or sister? I want to reread verse 9 through 13. This is so key, specifically looking at the interaction that Philip had with this sorcerer. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he he had amazed them for a long time with, with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. Simply put, there's power in the gospel. Simply put, there's power in the gospel. Here, he didn't have to have any special words. Philip didn't come with some agenda. Philip didn't come with some special program or wait for something to happen. Instead, he simply came into the midst of the darkness and said, I know the one who brings the light. Let me tell you about him. You know, sometimes we we might get timid to share our, our faith because we don't know all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. But we do know the answers that God's given us. In fact, that's called our testimony. Last week, you heard just a few individuals share their testimony from Athletes in Action, and as they did, they talked about a specific instance of how God had impacted their specific life. And God uses those stories oftentimes, which we even read about. Some are recorded in Scripture to be able to bring encouragement, to open our eyes, and to recognize the goodness of the gospel. The Beatles sang a song, All You Need Is Love, which I think is true. The only problem is I think they defined love differently than we do within the context of the church, right? Right? They had it wrong in definition, for God is love. Actually, in John 1, or 1 John 4, it reads like this, verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has seen, has, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Furthermore, it does not, uh, uh, you know, It doesn't ask for for us to make the the transformation. In fact, in this story, it doesn't say that Philip brought any transformation at all. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. As a result, I will bring the transformation. The Spirit will come and bring transformation for us. And the disciples at that time, and specifically for Philip, they didn't have the New Testament like we have it. Instead, they taught primarily the teaching was the gospel, the good news, the, the, the stories about what Jesus had done and how he could change our lives. What if all you knew about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was simply just Jesus was born, he was perfect, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he'll return. Would that be enough? Would that be enough? Because certainly I will tell you when you read the rest of scripture, the whole of scripture, it all points to that same core. At all points at the same core of a Savior, of a God who entered into a fallen and broken world, lived a perfect life to be that perfect sacrifice so that you and I could experience perfect love. That's the goodness of God. That's the message of God. I did an escape room one time many years ago this was uh, when I was still doing youth ministry as well, actually, and I was with a group of high school students, and this was a lot of fun. We go into this room, and if you've never done an escape room before, they're confusing and chaotic and exciting all at the same time, and the best part about it is after an hour, you're done. Like, that's, that's the good part about it. Essentially, there were 10 of us, and we were put in this room, and the escape room is a, is a series of clues and puzzles that you have to try to solve so that eventually you can unlock the door, get out of the room, and you, will, you, you beat the clock, so to speak, because so you have a certain amount of time. With a few hints, we did eventually get out of the room after we asked for several hints. And I I can say in this, I see some very extreme parallels to the church when it comes to an escape room. The church that we recognize and the faith that we can share. Looking back, we asked for a few times, we asked for a person that was running the room to give us some vague clues to help us on our way. In fact, we found ourselves asking the question, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did, uh, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me, right? I'm in this fog. I I see kind of some of the pieces, but I can't put them all together. And sometimes in in our lives or in, in the lives of the people around us, we see the fact that we may speak a language that they don't fully understand. You might uh, appreciate this but oftentimes on a Sunday my wife will say to me after the service you, did, you know it was a good message today but you said this or you said that and you didn't fully explain it people are going to be confused and i often think to myself i'm confused so i don't know <laughs> we can understand sometimes the language that we speak but others might not and when we ask for when they ask for clues and we play a game of Hot, warmer, or colder kind of thing. We don't do them any help. We don't do them any justice. Instead, God calls us specifically to bring them to the foot of the cross. As Christians, we have people intentionally or unintentionally asking us every single day in our context for the light. We have people every single day asking for us, maybe even vaguely, for clues towards the truth. And it might not be, hey, tell me about this passage that I'm reading. It might just be, hey, I'm struggling in my marriage, or I'm struggling to recognize what priorities are most important, or my child is, is really fighting me on this, or I've got a, a, an elder uh, relative that's, that's, that's failing in health. In all of those situations, what they are saying is, tell me about the hope of Jesus. And so specifically as the church, we find ourselves recognizing that we are the person sitting outside of the escape room with the people that are in there, or the person that's in there in our context, and they're asking for clues. And I think about how cruel it would be just to say, okay, here's a clue so that you can move on to the next thing, or you can maybe figure out the next puzzle, rather than recognizing that we have the key right there. You and I have the key right here. We have the key just like Philip did when he met with this man on, the, on, the, on his journey. And he sat down and he said, let me not tell you about the four, you know, the, 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 all the spiritual laws. Let me not tell you about the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you about the person of Jesus. The clues, they may seem nice, but in a post-Christian world, a lot of that doesn't make any sense. Instead, we have to get right to what matters most, which is what does hope actually look like? Where does peace actually come from? comes from Jesus. So are you helping others discover the key or are you playing a game of hot and cold? I had a professor once share this message when he was talking about preaching. He says, preach as if your congregation had a terminal illness and this was the last time or the last thing that they would hear. You know what? I don't think that's just accurate or just true of me standing on this platform right now. I think that's true of all of us right? Because we don't know how much time we have left anyway. We don't know how much time this world has left. And so folks, the reality is we should live lives looking at the people around us as if they might have a terminal illness. And this is the last interaction, the last engagement we might ever have with them. All right, this final point is a a three-parter. i want to reread verse 26 through 29 once again, because this is the core, this is the crux of it. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury at Candike. At and he said, "This man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet." And the Spirit told. Philip, go to the chariot and stay near to it. See, God speaks through uh, different aspects in our life. He may speak through an angel or or a dream or another person. And here's the two questions that come from this specifically before we, we jump into these points. The first one is this. When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time that you audibly or internally or from somebody else or reading scripture or just simply in a time of quiet meditation, when was the last time that God spoke to you? And can I just say, if it's been a while, if it's been a while since you've heard anything from God, it's not because he's stopped speaking to you. In most cases, it's because we've got so much going on. You might have so much going on in your life, so much noise. The pace is so quick that you stop listening. And it may seem harsh, but I'm telling you this because I love you. Oftentimes, we get into prayer mode and we say, okay, here's my grocery list of things that I need, God. All right, thanks so much. I'm going on to the next thing. Or maybe I'm going to start praying, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I just fell asleep. And then you wake up in the morning and say, well... I, I, you know, I, a constant state of prayer. Right? I always kind of using, no, the reality is sometimes we don't sit and allow God's word, sitting to allow God to speak to us because we've got so much going on. And so what was the last time, or when was the last time God spoke to you? The second question is this, when was the last time God called you to do something that didn't make any sense? When did he call you to a detour? When did he call you to step out and share something? Certainly, Philip was in the middle of doing something very powerful. And all of a sudden, God sends this angel and says, Okay, I need you to go talk to this one single person over here after you just spoke to the crowds, the the many, many people over here. After you just went into this town and eradicated it from the sin of this sorcerer and even took the sorcerer and and, and turned him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, turned him around and put him on the, the, the straight and narrow path towards Jesus. I just say when he does this, when he calls us to do something specifically that doesn't make any sense, it's on purpose. It's on purpose. He calls us in all aspects, in all ways, on purpose. And so here's the three truths of sharing your faith. Again, Philip was listening this time to those around him and specifically engages in that. The first one is this, the, the Holy Spirit prepares hearts. When God calls you to go and to speak to somebody, and you're like, man, I don't know, I, this person doesn't know, you know, we've never really talked, or they don't know much about, uh, the, you know, I've never seen them at church, they don't know much about the gospel. They don't know. Here's the reality God typically, when He calls us to somebody, He does so knowing that He's already prepared the way. He's already prepared their heart to hear the message, to hear what you've placed before them. He doesn't do things on accident, He does them on purpose. In fact, here we see in verse 30 through 31, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. And the response was this. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. It didn't make sense. Why would, I, why would I leave all that I'm doing here to go speak to this one man in this journey all by himself? And it's because God had already been preparing the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch. The second point is this. We live in a world searching for answers. This man had the question. You might not always get the question, who is Jesus? But when you hear about the darkness in someone's life, the difficulty they're walking through, the storm that they are, they are marching through, that is an invitation to say, I need hope. Does anybody in here know somebody who needs hope? They're, all, they're, they're, they're out there. Perhaps even us at times, we need hope. We need a reminder of God's goodness in the midst of the things that stare us right in the face. And in that instance, in, that, in, in the midst of that call, we recognize that the Spirit is moving, that the world is searching for answers. And then finally, there, you know, there's people out there that as they live in darkness, they're walking through all these things. We could give them all the clues in the world, but there's one main answer, and it's so simple. It's this, Jesus, right? You and I could, could, could probably share stories of the way that we've grown or the way that we've recognized the goodness of God. And that third point is so clear and so simple, yet so difficult sometimes to understand. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He, he sits there. He, he says, you know, I, I, how could I understand? And then he reads this verse from Isaiah, not recognizing exactly what he's talking about, it says he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is Jesus we're talking about who was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, talking about Jesus right now, the, the God of all creation, he was deprived of justice. He had a, a trial that was, that was, that was no, no justice in it at all. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. And as right now, as Philip takes this time to sit down with the eunuch, he expresses the reality of a God who humbly came to this world and gave his life, not just for you and I, but he was talking specifically to him. He gave his life for him. Just like he gives his life or he has given his life for the people that you every single day have the opportunity to interact with. And so when they ask the question, when the people around you ask the question, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? You don't have to come with all the information. All God calls you to do is share the answer, which is Jesus. To share what you know about the person of Jesus, about the sacrifice, about the humility, about the actual redemption that Jesus can bring. And certainly it, it seems simple, and in some reality it is simple. We, we recognize the, the fact that we are sinners, that we are subscribing to the sin of this world and the evil one of this world. We turn our back on that, giving our sin to God, asking for him to redeem us, to receive that sin upon himself, which he took upon the cross as the one true sacrifice. And as the result of that, we become his child. We become brothers and sisters together as well. So you join a larger family, we become his child. One who says, God, you are now my Lord and my Savior, the one who saved me from my sin, from the pit of of, of destiny of hell, which is where we 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 would end up should we die, pass from this life and not know Christ. At the same time as my Lord, the one who directs me, leads me, guides me, because he knows our will, he knows our way. He knows this world better than we do. There was a class that I was in one time. This is a long time ago. This was I was still in high school. It was a class that I was in one time where the, the teacher at the end, after you would do your test, you would get a retake, another retake, and finally they would hand out the answer key as like a okay, take this and study, it, because at the end of the year we're gonna go through these things again. And it was so easy at that point, so simple. Here is the answer key. This is the thing that's gonna fulfill the, the, the need for this class. Can I just tell you? We have the answer key. He is the answer. He is the one who is the recipient and the giver of unconditional love. The one who brings forth the reconciliation in all the issue we walk through. If you're a person that needs to be right, can I tell you, he will make you right. Maybe not in the way you want, but he'll make you right. We have the answer key. And it's Jesus, our Savior. And so looking back at the beginning, here's that specific question once again. Who has God called you to share your faith with? Who in your life is God saying, okay, I've given you the answer key. Go and share it. Here's how I want to close today. And I I like this this concept, this understanding of what the disciples, the apostles did for that second class of disciples as they kind of joined the fold. And that was this opportunity to come together for commissioning. And can I tell you, church, oftentimes at the end of the service, I will say you're dismissed. I don't like to say that, although I recognize if I don't say it, some of you won't leave. You'll just stay here. And so sometimes I say it just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm done preaching now. But let me just tell you, the reality is that you aren't dismissed. You're sent out. We are sent out as a church to go and to be the church, to go and to take the the insight and to take the growth and to take the Spirit's leading and to take the fellowship, encouragement, and edification that we have and to go from this place sent out to be God's workmanship, to be his hands and feet in a world that so desperately needs it. So here's how we're going to close today. We're going to do a commissioning. We're going to stand together. If you're able to stand, would you do so? And in Acts chapter 6, when the apostles wrapped their arms around each of these new disciples, what they did is they laid hands on each other. And so if you would uh, just take a moment, and maybe you have to meet your neighbor real quick, just lay your hands on the shoulders of the people next to you. This is a a co-commissioning within the context of the church. Holding hands works as well. As you lay hands on one another, as you put your, your hands on the shoulders of those next to you, this is a moment for you to commission them and for them to do the same for you. And so as I pray, I want you to pray internally, or even you can pray audible if you'd like to as well, a moment of commissioning for those that you stand in unity with in this moment. Heavenly Father, we come to you now with our arms, with our hands extended out. Not just as a physical representation, but also, God, as a spiritual a spiritual implication, a spiritual reality, Father, that you have called us as your church to go and to be your hands, your feet to be the ones who spread your gospel, that lead and guide and be the, 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 the workmanship that you've created us to be, the unique tool that you've created us to be, the one who brings the key, the one that, that opens the door, the ones, God, that, that bring forth the salt and the light that only, God, you can provide in the darkness of a fallen world. God, we, all, we can look around. We can see that the darkness is there. There's no argument there's no argument that there's, a, there's reality of morality. There's no argument, God, that there, there is despair and discouragement, God. But at the same time, there is an argument on where that hope comes from. May we be catalysts for change and for the authentic hope that only you can bring. God I pray for your church right here this 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 assembly in this place this this one local body of your church father just a one one meeting here in this space and also virtually online God that as we engage in this moment may this be a time where we commission one another together God, may we go experiencing and ready to experience your goodness as you call, maybe sometimes in a way that might be somewhat confusing to us at first, but God, may we step boldly into the path. May we use the words you've called us to. May we share your gospel truths, your gospel story to anybody that you call us to do so. God, as you prepare hearts, may we be mindful to plant the seeds, to water the seeds, to be your hands, your feet, and your mouthpiece. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our midst. We ask you to continue to move as we identify and we push into who you've called us to share our faith with. We thank you, Father, for what you do. In your son's name we pray and all of us sit together in this place. Amen. Hear this benediction. May God the Father prepare your journey. Jesus the Son, guide your footsteps. The Spirit of life, strengthen your body. The three in one watch over you on every road that you may follow. Church, you're sent out. I love you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.